Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for what you have in store for us. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for all that you have done for us. And God, in our own hearts just now, we want to give you opportunity to speak. Just in the silence of our own hearts, Father, we want to give you the invitation to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, give us ears to hear and give us a will to do what we hear you calling us to do. Thank you, Father, so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today I'm going to tell you about my hike through hell. I was sitting in the hotel. This was on Thursday. Now, most of the group left either Thursday morning or even late Wednesday night, but my wife had worked it out really well for me to get just the right flight that was the cheapest possible, and that worked out that I was going to be flying out at 1 a.m. on Thursday. So that morning, I went up on the Mount of Olives, had a great worship up there, and I, I came back down, and then I, I did some things at the hotel and did some things around there. And then I, it got to be about 5 p.m., and my taxi was coming at 8.30, and I said, I need to do one more thing. Because the tour guide had taken us past what he called the Valley of Gehenna, but he hadn't let us get out and walk through this valley. And I thought to myself, I need to know what this looks like. So I'm going to take you with me today on my journey through the Valley of Gehenna. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 47, we find one of the few times when Jesus references the Valley of Gehenna. Mark 9 and verse 47, you're welcome to turn there in your Bibles or to turn your eyes to the screen. It says, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. One of the strongest statements that Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Now, most English translations here will say hellfire or something along those lines, but the word here is Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is Aramaic, a transliteration of, of, of the Aramaic into Greek that basically means the Valley of Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom. So I looked this up and I said, okay, where is the Valley of Hinnom? I saw it driving past in a tour bus, but, but where do I actually find it? How do I get there? From my hotel. And after I looked it up at about 5.15, I headed out at about 5.30. I've now got three hours before my taxi to go to the airport. And so there I am headed out from the Olive Tree Hotel where I was staying. And as I began to walk, I walked along, first of all, the northern part of the wall of Jerusalem, of the old city in Jerusalem. I was walking along there. And as you walk along, you'll see people coming from the western wall. You see those people who are there walking along with the big hats. Those are what we call ultra-Orthodox Jews. You notice that they have the, the long cords that are coming from the corners. You'll also, if you look closely, you'll see that they have uh, sideburns that are, are, are not trimmed at all. They're very long and, and curled. And they go and pray a lot at the Western Wall because they're praying for God to bring the Messiah to restore Jerusalem. So I walked past some of them, and as I kept walking along, I was getting closer and closer. Finally, I got to where it was supposed to be. It was the park that is at the, 
the tip of the valley. And as I got close, I noticed something, and you might notice it here too. There's some orange netting that's blocking off part of this here. There's a, a, a temporary gate there, and there's two security guards there. I thought, what's going on? Are they not going to let me? Here I am going on this hike, hoping to see at least one more thing here in Israel. Are they not going to let me into this valley? As I got closer, I saw that they had gates all along it. And then I began to hear something. I began to hear music playing in this park. Here I am going to what Jesus referred to as hell. And the very first thing I hear is this beautiful music playing. And I look out there and there's this temporary bar set up. There's these barbecue trucks there. There's on the lawn, there are set out here. You might be able to see it if we look a little closer. There's all this fencing along the way there. But if you look a little closer here... You see how they have giant bean bags and blankets spread out there? It was one of the most inviting places I had seen in all of Israel, just tantalizing me, saying, hey, come on in. Go ahead and step into the Valley of Gehenna. Why don't you just take this step? There were these lights hanging across. They had it all decorated beautifully, just inviting me to come in. But the thing was, there was a price. I noticed as people would go to this, the entryway that they would charge them. And I hadn't changed any dollars to shekels. I didn't buy much of anything in Israel. I just took a lot of pictures. And so I was determined not to pay to go to hell. So I decided to continue to walk around. Now, Proverbs fourteen twelve says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. That park looked beautiful and inviting. It looked like the place that you could recline and enjoy some beautiful music, eat some great barbecue. There's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is death. The enemy wants to tantalize us, to bring us, to, to get us to go into what Jesus called the broad way, which is the way of destruction that many enter by. He wants to keep us away from the narrow way, the way that is less commonly followed. Well, I kept going around and I discovered something. It, on either side of this park, there's on the one side this music for youth building that teaches Jerusalem uh, Israelites, I guess, how, how Israelis to play music. It's interesting that on the one side of the valley you had the music uh, institute and then, then on the other side you had this cinema built. These are the only things that are built in the Valley of Gehenna. The Valley of Gehenna is something that is, is viewed to be so accursed that people don't build anything in the valley. There's nothing there, but there's this park there, and on either side you have this, this cinema, and you have this music, things that are very inviting, things that are very entertaining. It's kind of interesting that the enemy uses some of these very things to tantalize us, to, to bring us sometimes in the wrong direction in our lives, not that they're always all bad. Christ Object Lessons, page 139, says this, Yet do not therefore conclude, just because there's attractions at the beginning of the Broadway, you do not therefore conclude that the upward path is the hard and the downward road the easy way. All along the road that leads to death, there are pains and penalties. There are sorrows and disappointments. There are warnings not to go on. Have you experienced that before in your life? You choose to go in the way that the enemy's tempting you, and you think this is going to be easy. This is going to be less difficult than following God. And you find that step by step, there's pain, there's difficulty, there's trial after trial that comes into your life, that it's not as easy as you thought. There's a reason for that. 
It's because God loves you. It goes on to say, God's love has made it hard for the heedless and headstrong to destroy themselves. Isn't that good news this morning? God's love has made it difficult for you to be lost. God's love has made it so that He wants to do everything possible to keep you out of hell. And I found this. As I went around, there was literally a gate all along, and there was security repeatedly along this valley. It was very difficult for me to get into this valley. But finally, I found this little open gate, and I found a way into the valley of Gehenna. And I said, okay, here's my chance. I'm going for it. And at first, it looked kind of good. There was this nice, open, wide path, and I began to head down into the valley of Gehenna, and it was a nice, shaded area. There were some olive trees there, and as I was walking down, I was a little intimidated, a little scared, because I am walking into what Jesus said was hellfire, but it didn't look too scary, so I kept on going. And then I began to notice that the terrain changed. No longer was there this green park and nice area, but pretty soon I began to see these piles of stones, and it was like people were building things, and things were just kind of a mess around there, and I didn't really know what was going on, just kept walking along. And I began to see that other people were finding other creative ways to get into the Valley of Gehenna. Here you find people that are repelling off of a wall in order to get in there. Apparently, I wasn't the only one unwilling to pay a fine to get in there or uh, uh, an entrance fee. But some people were repelling off a wall in order to get into the valley. I kept going along and pretty soon the trail ended. And my conscience began to tell me, okay, now is when you turn around. You don't just keep walking in a country where you don't know where you're going But I said, okay, the church needs to know what does the valley of Gehenna look like? What does it look like in hell? Because Jesus said we've got to do whatever it takes to stay out of there. So I'm going to go ahead and keep on going to find out what it's like. So I kept hiking along. I began to see these various caves on the sides of the wall as we went along. And you can see here some of them. uh, they're, They're outcroppings of rocks that are kind of carved out. It's actually an area where there's known to be quite a few tombs, but you'll notice that people have taken up somewhat of a residence in there. There's all kinds of cans inside of these tombs, and I began to wonder what sort of people hang out in the Valley of Gehenna. Who hangs out in hell anyway? Well, kept going along, seeing more and more of those. And this one in particular, it was all burned out, which reminded me of some of the things that I had read about the Valley of Hinnom. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 6, if you have a Bible, or look on the screen with me. This is from the story of Manasseh. Do you remember King Manasseh? He was a very bad king. He was the child of a very good king, King Hezekiah. But Manasseh was a very, very evil king. And Second Chronicles chapter 33 and verse 6 says this about what he did. Also, he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. That's where we get the word Gehenna from. The valley of Hinnom this takes out the word son of. So the valley of the son of Hinnom, he, he causes his sons to pass through the fire. He practiced soothsaying and witchcraft and sorcery and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And it's fascinating. If you look over in 2 Kings chapter 23, talking about Ahaz, he did the same thing. He, he offered incense in this valley and he caused his children to pass through the, uh, the fire in this valley. And it says that he did more evil than the people who were driven out 
before the Israelites as they came into this land. God hates child sacrifice. In the, all of the Bible, if you could say that there's one thing that God hates more than anything else, it's likely child sacrifice. And I wonder if this may be the reason why Jesus chose this valley to represent hell. And we'll see that a little bit more as we go along. But as I looked at that cave and I saw those burn marks, it made me think about, now I guarantee these are not the burn marks from King Manasseh burning his children there. But it made me think about the horrid thing that took place. Can you imagine taking your child and offering them on an altar as a burnt offering because you believe that that is what your God requires of you in order to get his favor. Sometimes it was just in order to get rain. Sometimes it was just in order to win a battle. Sometimes it was for the sake of salvation. Different reasons, but people would take their child and they would sacrifice it thinking that this will make God happy. God said, no, that's not what I'm like. I'm not like that at all. Don't you understand? That's, that's completely contrary to who I am. That is the epitome of what hell is like, Jesus said. God doesn't want for us to offer our children as sacrifices, and God doesn't want us to do anything like that in order to attempt to earn his favor. I can only imagine what this would be like. I told you a little bit earlier that we got the good news that Leah is eight weeks pregnant. It's really early to, to tell, tell people that, but we're family here, so I'm, I'm being open with you that she's eight weeks pregnant, which is a huge blessing in our lives. And then I'm there in Israel, and I get the word that she said, I think I had a miscarriage. That alone was heartbreaking to me. She had just sent a video where they showed the little flicker of the heartbeat. And then I get a text message saying, sorry, But praise God, she didn't have a miscarriage. It's a hematoma, and that's why she's not here. She's down, and she, but it's something that the doctor is very hopeful. We just saw another doctor yesterday. They did an ultrasound. There's still a strong heartbeat. Praise the Lord. It's such a beautiful thing. Life is such a wonderful and valuable thing, and God values that. And so for us to take a child and to sacrifice it in order to earn God's favor is such an abomination. It's such a, a, a thing that is contrary to God's nature. So I continued on through the valley. And as I went along, I saw that there were some places where you could walk out of the valley. There was somebody had provided stairs in order to give you another option to walk out of the valley. But I wanted to figure out what hell was really like. So I just kept on going. As I got further, there was less and less of a trail. It was more and more of these thorn bushes and other things. So I went along. Then as I kept going, I began to find trash everywhere. Now there's this, uh, this tradition that be- came up in the 12th century AD. We don't know for sure if it's true, but the idea is that the Valley of Gehenna became a place where they would throw their garbage and they would burn their garbage. And they would constantly keep their garbage burning because they would take the garbage and they would burn more and more of the garbage and it was constantly burning. There must have been something burning in this valley. I don't know if it was garbage or what it was because... Jesus compared it to hell, and we'll find out here in a second that he actually said that the fire there was unquenchable. But Psalm 32.10 says this, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Is it easy to go in the path of destruction? What does it say? 
Is there a lot of joy and cheerfulness in following after the, the, the wicked way? Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy will surround him. To follow in Jesus' way is a blessing, it's a delight. When you go into hell, there's more and more destruction on the path to hell. There's more and more trash the further you go along. And the more I looked around, the more and more trash I found. Christ's Object Lessons continues. It says, It is true that Satan's path is made to appear attractive, but it is all a deception. In the way of evil, there are bitter remorse and cankering care. We may think it pleasant to follow pride and worldly ambition, but the end is pain and sorrow. Selfish plans may present flattering promises and hold out the hope of enjoyment, but we shall find that our happiness is poisoned and our life embittered by hopes that center in self. Selfishness never provides the joy that it looks like. The attractiveness of trying to feed ourselves, of trying to to self-medicate, of trying to provide for what we want, of trying to, to find our own pleasure in life, it never really satisfies. But this morning in Sabbath school, we talked about how Jesus said, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In his presence is fullness of joy, he promises us. In the downward road, it continues, The gateway may be bright with flowers, but thorns are in the path. There was this beautiful party going on at the top of the hill, but as I got further and further down, I lost the path, and pretty soon I just found a heap of trash. The light of hope which shines from its entrance fades into darkness of despair, and the soul who follows that path descends into the shadows of unending night. More and more, as I got down there, I found just trash and nothing there that was attractive whatsoever. And pretty soon I noticed that there were burn marks all around. There were trees that had, and grass that had been burned. And I began to feel like I really was in the place that Jesus was talking about, where there was burning fire. Jesus said in Matthew, Mark 9, 47, we saw, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. But then he goes on to say, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, I noticed something about this. If you look at this really carefully, what do you notice? Look at this picture really carefully. Just some observations. What do you notice here? Olive trees. What else? Some burn spots. Okay. This was the closest thing that I could find to a burning fire in the Valley of Gehenna. But look at what Jesus says about Gehenna. If you're cast into Gehenna, to be cast into the hellfire where the worm does not die. I didn't find one single worm. I wasn't really looking that carefully. And the fire is not quenched. I did not find find a fire still burning in Gehenna. What is unquenchable fire? It's a fire that consumes everything that it has to consume. Fire has to have fuel in order to go on burning. There is not currently a fire burning in the valley of Gehenna. And throughout eternity, there will be eternal consequences to sin, but there will not be eternal torment for sin. Praise the Lord that that is contrary to the character of who God is. And there are so many people who have become atheists because they believe that that's who God is, but that is not who God is. I still was a little terrified though, and I thought at this point, okay, I've reached the bottom of the valley and it is time for me to head back. 
And then I looked up the road, and I realized that this was not going to be as easy as I thought, because it was a very steep climb. Going downhill is really nice and easy, but to go back was tough. There was an uphill journey ahead of me, and it was not easy. It was so the sun there is very intense. It's at least 85 plus there, and it's not something that you like to go out and go on a hike in. That's why I had that hat on um, and wore clothing that was light and loose. And as I went along, you can see just the sun beating down on the asphalt. It was very hot, and I began to think to myself, this was a terrible plan. How am I even going to make it back in time for my flight? I've got a long climb ahead of me to get even anywhere near Jerusalem, and then I've got to go around Jerusalem to get back to my hotel. This is just great. I was getting very exhausted hiking along there. And as I got further and further up, the hill just kept on going and going and going. I got pretty happy at one point because I looked up on the hillside and there was the Zion Hotel. It was as if somebody had had placed something there in order to enable people to be able to get out of this situation. But I looked at my watch and I realized that I did not... Whoa, whoa, what happened? I don't know what happened. I jumped quite a few slides there somehow. Let's see if we can get back a couple. I looked at my watch and realized that I did not have much time to stay at a hotel. And I needed to keep going because I needed to be back because I wanted to see Leah very as soon as possible. And so I kept going. And when I got to that park, as I looked out at those people... I began to think in my mind, if this really were the Valley of Gehenna, and people really are being enticed into going in the way of destruction, I just wanted to stand up on the curb there and shout, don't go to the party, come out, because now there were just tons of people reclining there and drinking, and I asked the security guard, what's everybody doing? He said, oh, they're drinking Heineken's and they're eating meat. I said, okay, well... That doesn't sound like it's going to lead them in the right direction in the end. And I wish that I had that same passion every single day of my life because there's a lot of people who are reclining in life, who are going through life, and there's a way that leads to destruction that looks good at its start, that feels good at its start, but the end is the way of death. Jeremiah 7, talking about what took place in this valley, says this, And they have built the high places of Tophet, another word for this valley, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. God says, I didn't even, this, where did you guys get this from? Who, what would make you even think of this? To burn your sons and daughters? Where did you come up with this? This didn't even come into my heart. I didn't even think this way. Why would you think like that? I realized something as I made this hike, and then I hiked back up that hill. This is a diagram of Jerusalem, and you notice around the bottom and the left-hand side, which is the western and southern side of Jerusalem, it says Hinnom Valley. What does it say going up the right-hand side there, right by the red line? Can anybody read that? Kidron Valley. There's something very beautiful, even in the topography of Jerusalem here, as you see these two valleys come together and they converge. Now, I had done my best to hike my own way out of this valley, to try to find my own way out of the Valley of Gehenna. And it was this laborious hike up this hill in the hot sun. And suddenly I realized something. You know what I could have done? The Kidron Valley. 
why didn't I walk up the Kidron Valley? Now, this may not click for you, but it clicked for me because I realized something that earlier I had taken a walk in the Kidron Valley. And here you see that it's, it's a steep valley too. And here's the, the path going up through the Kidron Valley. And there are also some tombs along the way there. Some of those tombs were there in the time of Jesus. You see that one with the, the pillars up there? They think that that's from the Hasmonean time period, which was a few centuries before Christ. So Jesus might have walked past these very tombs and seen these very things there on the hill. They don't know exactly who they're for, but it, it's, it's, the names are similar to what is listed in the book of Nehemiah. And then I remembered how at the top of the Kidron Valley, as you go through, you begin to see all of these olive trees. And this in front of me, if you look up at the top, is the wall of Jerusalem, and there is the eastern gate of Jerusalem, which led to where the temple was, the temple mount there today where you see that mosque up on top of Jerusalem. And I remembered what Jesus said in John 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, all the beautiful promises that he gave in John 14 to 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a, what does it say? A garden, which he and his disciples entered. On the one side of Jerusalem, you have the Valley of Hinnom, which is the Valley of Gehenna, which Jesus said, pluck out your eye rather than to be thrown into this unquenchable, unburning fire. And then on the other side is a valley that comes down and meets it, and the two of them go on together to the Dead Sea. Whatever was flowing down those two meet at the point, and they all go down together to the Dead Sea. And at the top of the Kidron Valley is a place called Gethsemane. This is what today is known as the Garden of Gethsemane. Here you see some trees that are very old. Well, some people will try to tell you that they're as old as when Jesus was there. It's more likely that they're about 1,300 years old. In 70 AD, when Jerusalem was destroyed, we're told that the trees were also torn down. So it's unlikely that trees that Jesus prayed under are actually there. But this might be the, the, the grandson trees trees uh, descended from the trees that Jesus prayed from. And these are really old trees. You can see how, how thick they are, how huge they are. And suddenly, it clicked in my mind the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. Because it was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the top of the Kidron Valley, that as Jesus went into that valley, in Matthew 26, 37, it says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Stay here and watch with me because my soul is about ready to die. What was going on for Jesus at this point? What was the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you know what Gethsemane stands for? Gethsemane is the word basically uh, for oil press or olive press. And notice what happens in the, the next verse, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
In Luke 22:44, it tells us that he was, as he was there praying under those olive trees right across the Kidron Brook, right next to Jerusalem, in that valley which leads to the valley of Gehenna. It says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was in such agony that he began to actually bleed out of his pores. What was taking place here? This is what would have been in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a reproduction of an olive press. This is what they would use to crush the olives. They'd put olives in here and this wheel would go around. And I actually saw them pushing this wheel around and it crushes the olives. And then they would take the olives and they would put them in baskets. And this is the actual olive press. You see those heavy stones. They weigh hundreds of pounds each. They would take baskets full of the olives and they would put them and they would lift up these stones and then they would put all of that weight on top of these baskets and they would let it down and it would begin to press the olives until the oil would begin to flow out. That's what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive press garden. And as Jesus was there in the garden, the weight of my sin, of your sin, was pressing down on him. He was experiencing everything that takes place in the valley of Gehenna. He experienced everything that takes place in hell. He went through all of the agony, all of the separation, all of the trash, all of the unquenchable fire that takes place emotionally through the condemnation of sin. Jesus was bearing that in the Garden of Gethsemane and it was pressing the life out of him until he began to bleed out of his pores. And Jesus did it because he loves you. Isaiah 53 and verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus loved you enough to say, okay, They might deserve to go into the Valley of Gehenna. They might deserve to experience all of the trash, all of the difficulty, all that is entailed in hell. But I take that upon myself so that they don't need to experience that. I want to be crushed in order that they might have life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is incredibly good news that Jesus prayed that prayer. As finally, he, he changed the prayer from, Lord, do I have to drink this cup? To finally, oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Praise God. You don't need to be terrified by hell. You don't need to be afraid of what takes place in the valley of Gehenna. Because there's good news. Jesus already went through it for you. And today, he wants you simply to say yes to him. He wants for you to accept him and his sacrifice for you so that you can experience all of his goodness, all of his righteousness in your life. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And there's also a narrow way 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a way of life, and that way is Jesus. So from my experience of going through hell, I just want to tell you this. Don't try to get out of it on your own. But look to the one who's already provided the way of escape. Look to the one who already went through it for you. Whatever you're going through this morning, no matter the trials, no matter the guilt, no matter the shame that is pressing you down this morning, give it all to Jesus. Let Him lift your burdens. Believe on the one who loves you more than his own existence. That's what communion is all about. That's what we celebrate today as we do the communion service. It is a reminder of the God who loves us more than his own existence. Would you join me in praying, maybe even just kneeling if if you're able to kneel with the one who kneeled in Gethsemane for your sins? Oh Jesus, thank you. Thank you for providing a way of escape. Thank you for the reality that there is a life giver who gave his life for us so that we could be restored to fullness of life. And God, just now, I want to recommit my own heart to fully accept what Jesus has done. And God, I want to ask you that as we go through the communion service together, as we wash each other's feet, as we take part in the the bread and the grape juice that represents what you have given, Lord, we pray that it would be more real and more special than ever before, that it would touch our hearts in a new and fresh way, that we would see what you have done in your infinite sacrifice and that that would stir love in our hearts in a more powerful way than ever before. Thank you, Father, for blessing us as we go out to participate in this. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.